Uh, hey guys and welcome to another episode of the Timmy Time podcast. Today really excited to have um, a good mate of mine on, on the podcast who has a really inspirational story and has um, yeah, some really cool messages I think that uh, can help each of us. So uh, Tristan Condon, thank you for coming on the show and making some time for us brother. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. And hello to all the listeners. Thanks, man. So, yeah, it was a pretty crazy story how we met. I thought I'd just share this real quick before we start. Um, but it was when I was um, I was Uber driving. And just as a side hustle to make a bit of money. And I was going towards training. And I was going through Sunnybank. And I got a alert to, um, like, for a job. And it just so happened to be Tristan. Um, and your wife and your mum? There's three of you, say. Yes, yeah, Blender and Kerry. Yeah. Yes. And I took you down to yeah. just near, was it um, just near Suncorp? Yeah, we went for breakfast. You so breakfast, we came yeah. back for a quick, yeah, yeah. We came back from Cloncurry in Outback, Queensland for a quick uh, 23-hour visit to Brisbane and uh, met up with friends and family for breakfast. Yeah, that's right. So, man, um, so it was pretty cool. And, yeah, we've kept in touch ever since. Um, but yeah, Tristan, I, I guess just to start off, man, um, tell us a bit about who you are and um, yeah, your life, your upbringing and things like that. Definitely. So I was, um, I was born premature and I had um, something called jaundice. That's when your skin's a bit pale or a bit, bit yellow. Mm-hmm. And they normally put you under some sunlight or lights to help with the jaundice. And normally it's um, remedied pretty quickly. Uh, but uh, I was born up in Cairns and they decided to put me outside and the day I was born it was near 40 degrees and um, they left me outside in a humidity crib and there was no oxygen inside the humidity crib so that that meant that um, my mum actually found me because she felt like something wasn't right so she went exploring the hospital and when she found me I was unconscious and so because of a lack of oxygen to the brain and resulting from that. So I I, uh, sustained uh, something called cerebral palsy and cerebral palsy or CP is something that affects your muscle tone. So either it typically, either your muscle tone's really tight as it is in my case. So when when I stand, you'll see that my legs are always bent uh, or my knees are always bent. That's because my hamstrings are so tight that they're always pulling me down Mm -hmm. or you, your muscle tone, it can impact your muscle tone um, in a way that um, you're really loose. So you won't have the tone to be able to stand or maybe be able to hold up your head or be able to verbalize because you don't have that fine motor control mm-hmm. to be able to speak. Uh, so, uh, so that happened 10 days after I was born. And uh, my parents were told that um, because when, when, uh, after that, you couldn't actually uncross my legs. My legs were crossed all the time, and you couldn't physically separate them. And the doctors were reluctant to admit to their faults, and actually just told my mum and dad that I didn't want my nappy changed. What? That's why you couldn't uncross my legs. Yeah. So, um, and they were told from that point that uh, I'd never walk or talk or live into my ten years, and um, they. They weren't willing to accept that, so uh, they they moved down to we moved down to Brisbane mm-hmm. to try and um, access some more treatment options, and that was going to be 
for three months and then that turned into three years and I didn't start walking and talking until uh, the age of four and my first words were when I grow up I want to be a gymnast and when I was four years old because I was I was a big fan of uh, gymnastics because uh, because I couldn't crawl I couldn't crawl like other people do I had to drag myself along uh, on my belly with my forearms Mm -hmm. so that meant that uh, my upper body really developed even though my arms were affected by cerebral palsy as well uh, because I was so heavy, heavily reliant on them, they really developed, and I could I could walk on my hands before I could walk on my feet. Wow, that's yeah. a story in itself, so, man. That's yeah, so that's quite an incredible uh, beginning, and uh, my parents really fought for uh, opportunities for me in mainstream education. Mm-hmm. So uh, they originally, when I was about uh, six years old, my mum got a call from. Uh, the Cerebral Palsy League, or then it was called the Spastic Centre. That was what it was called back, back then, but uh, pretty that rough. was during, during the 80s. So, um, so it was quite an antiquated term, but that's what it was called. And uh, they called my mum and said, the bus will be there to pick up your son on Monday. And mum said, the bus can come, but my son won't be hopping on it. Yep. And um, yeah, so they were just really incredibly strong and fought for uh, fantastic opportunities for me and uh, then I went through uh, primary school and primary school was was a lot of fun I really loved school but had a tough time in grade four yeah. I had um, a teacher that uh, would give me detention every day at lunchtime because uh, she told me that uh, I, I shouldn't be around normal kids and Goodness. she said that kids with disabilities uh, didn't didn't belong in mainstream education. So I used to she used to make me sit um, near a window and watch all the other kids play, while she would tell me how I didn't belong and I shouldn't be there. So uh, then I I had to change schools. I didn't tell my parents about it for a long time because mm-hmm. they 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 had a lot of frank uh, discussions with me yep. and and said that, um, you know, I'd be likely to be exposed to um, some, you know, some unpleasant unpleasantness and um, some prejudice about because uh, I was doing something that wasn't mainstream, yeah. wasn't conventional. Like there wasn't, when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of other kids with physical disabilities mm-hmm. or disabilities in general in mainstream education. So uh, typically they were sort of shunned away and not given opportunities yeah so i had to i eventually told told my parents because um it made school a place where i didn't want to be yeah exactly and that was really hard for me because i loved i loved being at school mm-hmm. and um i loved being around all the other kids and just having a good time so um eventually i i told them because um it was it was really tough but i guess i was reluctant because they sort of, they really prepared me for um, some of the hostility or difficult yeah. times that um, I would face. And I didn't want to, um, I, I probably felt like if I told them I would be failing them. So mm. that's something that I struggled with, like reflecting on it now. It's definitely not something um, associated with failure, but just in my mind, I wanted to uh, be successful regardless yep. of 
and what environment I was in. For sure, man. It seems like your and your parents have been a, a massive influence um, in your life. Like you said, you've gone through some some horrible things from that teacher. I, I don't know how that. Yeah, that is not good at all. But um, I love how your your mum and your your parents instilled in you, you know, that you would face these things and and to kind of work through it. Um, but man, yeah, that's I, pretty. That's pretty crazy. It it is hard, but uh, I think um, then preparing for me, uh, preparing me for that kind of environment definitely helped. And you know, for all the negative experiences I've had, I've had. 10, 10 times yeah. as many positive ones and that's that's uh, something that people uh, need to understand mm -hmm. as well and also appreciate that you know being exposed to you're not always going to get the perfect environment to succeed yeah exactly. and you might have to go through some very difficult times so um, going through that kind of adversity at an early age gave me tremendous confidence mm -hmm. because if I could get through that, I could get through anything, exactly. and it doesn't doesn't matter what sort of challenges we face. All all those skills that we learn, even through failed attempts, um, we can transfer and um, utilize in our next attempt. Yeah. Did you have any kind of friends that helped you along at school along your journey um, through some of these difficult times? Definitely, I yep. had had great great friends, and uh, I had a lot of cool nicknames. Uh, Speedy Gonzalez was. <laughs> <laughs> my my first nickname, despite my lack of speed, yep. uh, that was that was my nickname at uh, in primary school, and then um, when I got to got to Nudgee in high school, I got uh, Stixie was my oh, Stixie, nickname yep, at uh, high school. Yep. So um, <laughs> and through footy and and coaching and stuff like that, um, yeah, Stixie was uh, my name. But uh, particularly when I got to Nudgee, because. Uh, it's such a large campus. Mm -hmm. Getting around um, took me a long time to get to classes. So yes, it is um, a big campus. People would, yeah, people would love giving me a hand because by the time I got to class, it was pretty much over, <laughs> and it was time to head to the next one. So yeah, everyone was pretty keen to give me a hand because it meant they didn't have to be in the classroom. Man, surely they could organise something for you, like your classes near each other. It's a big yard. Yeah, I know it's a big campus. Getting around there. Yeah, it is a massive place. It was a bit of a stitch up when I first got there because uh, I'd go from the top of one building to the top exactly. of another building that was like, yeah, a mile away. But uh, when I got to 11 and 12, I sort of said, you know, I'm not going to walk past the classroom that I just happened to be in for my next class. I'm going yeah. to be in that one. I'm not going to, you know, do all the miles and do all the stairs. But uh, yeah, finally got it sorted out um, towards the end of uh, my time at Nudgee. That's cool, man. And I guess you went to Najee, obviously a hugely like sport-dominated school. Um, how has sport played a role in your life in, in a positive way, and how has it helped you? It's it's been one of the biggest biggest um, assets and one of the biggest um, avenues for connection and uh, just for friendships. As we mm -hmm. spoke about, you asked about friendships. Yep. Uh, going into coaching was and managing teams that's that all started at Nudgee. um i had a teacher his name was mr hamilton jason hamilton mm -hmm. he was the 16 a's coach and um he was he was a bit of a nutter but he was he just just it just gave me an awesome opportunity he wanted me to be around and i was pretty handy at doing push-ups and chin-ups yep. back then so Basically, my job was uh, to be visible whenever the guys were getting 
getting tired or fatigued or thought they'd given their last effort, wow. I was there to make sure they raised their next one. So um, that was that was incredible because I I got to be around around that and in that environment, like uh, to be around rugby at Nudgee, it's sort of awe-inspiring just to be mm-hmm. close to it. Mm-hmm. And I got to learn about what motivates different individuals yep. and also apply that to my own life. And then um, just just to be around for the half game, halftime chats and yep. the pre-game chats and like our warm-ups in the 16As, they were tougher than anything that we faced <laughs> on the field. So because Mr. Hamilton, as I say, he was... He had a bit of a army army background, yeah, so he yeah. was a bit of a hard taskmaster. So, um, but that really, really, that really resonated with me because I, I was pretty hard on myself, and um, I think people, if they're going to be successful, need to put themselves under under yeah. duress. And I, I probably was really hard on all the teams that I coached as well, yeah. um, making them do burpees and suicides and push-ups and. I really loved doing that with them too because um, while I couldn't run around on the field with them, yep. I could definitely do push-ups with them. And um, I really didn't think coaches should ask their players to do something that they yeah. didn't demand of themselves. Definitely. So, um, and yeah, I love love the pre-game chat. Like I'd, I'd prep a week in advance for the pre-game chat and uh, <laughs> just to try and inspire the boards um, and regale them with a bit of a tail uh, because or, um, like I just felt so much joy yeah. being around that. So I wanted to be entertaining and if I could help inspire them by making them laugh or just telling them some silly tale that was loosely related somehow to rugby, yep. um, then, you know, I because, you know, sport teaches us so many life lessons, I wanted to sort of incorporate that. Definitely into my pre-game chats. Man, I would have liked to have heard one of your pre-game chats. It's one of these, uh, <laughs> it's probably, one of these kids. <laughs> it was it was so much fun. Most of the time I'm just talking about drinking too much red cordial yeah. or how um, happy feet saved my life. Oh. It might have, you know, fast feet. Um, yeah, normally yeah. when I'm taking travel uh maybe at, like the Brisbane airport, uh, maybe because... When I hop on travelators, I found like I could get get my sticks on, but then my feet would stay back at the oh, platform. Goodness! And uh, <laughs> I need to use <laughs> need to use quick quick heads to yeah, yeah. stop myself from falling over. That's cool, man. But uh, yeah, I've got so many so many lifelong friendships from mm-hmm. from sport, um, rugby. Like uh, once I finished um, at Nudgy, I started coaching uh, with someone that was in the 16As at Brothers. Yep. And in Brisbane, and uh, then went to Sunnybank and uh, got to coach Colts and juniors. And um, the best thing at Sunnybank was uh, they were the first club to really go into women's rugby because yep, they right. recognised an opportunity uh, after Sevens got nominated mm-hmm. as an Olympic sport. Uh, they were the first club, I think, within Australia to start up a women's academy. And I was uh, the first coach for that program, and it's it's doing amazing things now. And um, you see so many uh, platforms for women through sport, and to be there when that started is uh, something that I'm really grateful for. That's amazing. Did you know Pearl? Yes. 
Yeah, because my funny you said that because yes. my auntie actually played for the uh, that women's team for Pearl's team. Her name's yeah. Emma. Yeah, I used to go yeah. and yeah. watch her play, and it was cool. Yeah. I, I didn't know they were the, yeah. one of the first um, teams. Yeah. Yeah, definitely they were, and um, it was just amazing for for women to have opportunity within sevens and and fifteens. Fifteens, yeah. And yeah, so um, and. You know, you look at the Queensland program, and they're dominated by by Sunnybank, yeah, um, sure. and at a national level, and that goes right back to being an early mover yeah. into into that field. That's that's cool because I love how yeah sports, women's sports now, particularly in rugby and rugby league, they're really taken off and have got a lot more traction and more opportunities for for young girls to come through that as a real pathway. So. That's that's cool to hear that you're yes. one of the pioneers at at Sunnybank. Uh, it was just uh, lucky timing or fortunate timing on my behalf um, because uh, I got, as I say, got to coach Colts there, and then um, they wanted to implement the women's program, yep. so I got that opportunity. But um, there's been a lot of different other, uh, a lot of different uh, sports that have had an impact on my life too. My first uh, foray into sport was with the uh, riding for disabled or RDA, so mm-hmm. uh, horse riding. Oh, so wow. um, it was it was funny. I started horse riding when I was about four years old, mm-hmm. and um, I mentioned that you know I couldn't couldn't you couldn't spread my legs, but I'd happily uh, you could spread my legs to so hop on a horse. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it was it was uh, the first time where I got to experience freedom of movement uh, because. You know, I wasn't restricted by how fast I could go. I could make the horse go as fast as I wanted mm-hmm. to go. And I got into dressage and show jumping. And um, I was lucky enough to have some success. Uh, I was open age champion at the age of 12 mm-hmm. uh, for the Queensland Queensland Championship. So um, I was very fortunate. And um, after, after horse riding and rugby, I got into rowing. Yep. following the bridge to Brisbane in 2012 because mm-hmm. um, the bridge to Brisbane, it took a massive toll on my body. Yeah, and man. I was actually told uh, by my GP at the time, she thought that um, uh, I might die during during the walk because my body was under so much duress. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I had... Um, as well as my CP at the time, I had three severely herniated discs, mm-hmm. and I was told that um, they were so severely damaged that they'd stop an able person from being able to walk, and I couldn't um, explore surgical options because there was a small chance of permanent paralysis, and because of my unusual biomechanics, um, the same issues were likely to present again even after surgery. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I needed needed something big to focus on after the bridge to Brisbane, and um, I was lucky enough to be able to get uh, a lot of support through a program uh, called the Project. And um, they they asked me what am I going to do next, and I just said that uh, I'd like to give rowing a go. I never rowed before, yep. and but I'd like to give it a go and try to get to the Rio Olympics uh, for power rowing. And I was lucky enough that. Uh, someone from the Tuong Rowing Club based in Brisbane was watching and they got my details and 
while they didn't have a power program at the club, they wanted to get me in a boat, and wow. uh, they organised a boat. It took about a year for them to get a boat, uh, but it took me about a year to recover from the walk, yeah, so it worked fair. out really well. <laughs> and then the third, in my third race ever, I was uh, racing against the world champion, and what? I got second. Yeah, so that was that was really cool to be down there at uh, Penrith at the Sydney Olympics mm-hmm. uh, rowing course. Yeah, in, in Western Sydney. That's uh, that was that was a crazy experience to get to. There's a section of the course where you get to row under the Olympic rings. There's a bridge yep. over the course, and you get to row underneath the Olympic rings, which is that's cool, man. Very cool. Dang. So you've done a lot. Yeah, that's yeah. you've done a lot of things. Yeah, I, I just I think um, if you can if you can keep finding a way to you know keep getting up, um, the people that you need and the different things that you need come into your life. So I've been very very fortunate in that regard because um, sounds funny, but uh, rowing is a bit of a vain sport, yeah. and so you need to row with your shirt off so you don't. Um, don't get tangled in your oars and things like that. And I really needed to build up my upper body strength again because from the herniated discs, I had uh, muscle atrophy in in my arms and I couldn't weight bear in my arms the way that I typically typically do and couldn't rely on them like I normally did. So um, to be able to find a sport that was all about upper body strength and uh, looking good with your shirt off was... uh, (laughs) It sounds sounds pretty bad, but uh, it was it was fortunate that I found rowing when I did because uh, it's given me the opportunity to stay mobile, and uh, I was looking pretty good, so I jumped on a dating app called Plenty of Fish, yep. and I met that's where I met Belinda. Ah, I was going to ask. So yeah, so if I wasn't looking so good, I may not have <laughs> met Belinda, and you know from meeting Belinda, we like. We we actually lived really close to each other. I, I lived in Sunnybank mm-hmm. in the time, and she lived in Calabar. Oh, and uh, it's funny to think that it took an app for us to meet because we hadn't hadn't come across each other um, in in that time before being on the app, which is strange because I'm kind of a big deal. Yep. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but and then we got to you know we got married. I proposed after three and a half weeks. And we got married, and then we went out to outback Queensland. And because Belinda's a pharmacist, and she always wanted to go out remote or to rural mm-hmm. area to um, try and help uh, promote health outcomes um, in regional communities. Since yeah. we got the chance to go to um, Cloncurry, which is a small place uh, about an hour and a half uh, from Mount Isa. Mm-hmm. So if, if people know where Mount Isa is. Our international listeners may not know where Mount Isa yeah. is, but uh, a small place of about 2,500 people where there's a lot of cows and a lot of mining. And um, it was an amazing, amazing experience to, to go out there. But like, like you're doing too in France, to be able to go and to live in different places, experience different environments, I think um, that's a wonderful thing for people to do. And uh, if people can get the chance to do it, I encourage them to, because where if you're from is not going anywhere, so um, you don't need to be scared about if it doesn't work out or whatever, exactly. so yeah. 
and when it's safe to do so, get out and explore and uh, try different things. Definitely, I agree. So I guess after you got married, man, did how did life change for you um, once you, you met Blender and things kicked off? Because it kicked off pretty quickly. Yeah, it did, but uh, we spent, even though it was uh, only three and a half weeks, we spent a lot of time together. And um, we, it sounds cliche, when you know, you know. So, exactly. And I think people people tend to um, wait too long in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, if That's one thing that all, all my challenges with my physical challenges have taught me is don't wait, don't wait in life. If there's anything that you want to do, get out and get amongst it because I feel like a lot of people want to wait for a perfect environment or some set of circumstances mm-hmm. to present before deciding to do something. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's no better time than right now because um, people might think that oh, they'll do this when they retire, but they might never have that capacity to do that when they retire exactly. or they might be waiting on some some certain event that they have no control over mm-hmm. um, to transpire before um, deciding to do, to do something. So, uh, but Belinda's just incredibly strong and uh, she makes me laugh all the time, yeah. which is uh, the best thing to, to have in a life partner is yeah. is someone that uh, can make you laugh. And um, I just, we spoke like for hours and hours. We, we, um, um, Actually, we just like uh, exchanged messages, and I actually asked her for a number, and she actually rejected me. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, no worries, I'll give you mine. And if if you want to give me a call, you can, yep. or you know, you can give me a message or whatever." And so, um, anyway, so she did. She gave me a message, and I asked her if I could give her a call, and she said yes. And we spoke for like our first telephone conversation was about two and a half hours. Wow. And. Uh, mid-semester break of uni was coming up and we decided that we'd meet up the following week mm-hmm. and so we arranged to do that but um, after I hung up I called her back and said what are you doing now and we ended up she was over at my place within 15 minutes and uh, we basically hung out until three o'clock at the morning and our first date was actually hanging out at the Sunnybank Rugby Club car park no just talking <laughs> That is awesome, man. Super romantic. That's crazy because you're... um... Yeah, keep going. (laughs) And then we did the same thing the following night. And um, it was about five o'clock when we got home. And I said, do you want to meet my mum? And I just, I I yelled out to mum at the front door and she thought I'd fallen over. (laughs) And... She actually came running out and she didn't have much on because she just woke it up and Belinda got to meet her where she was just pretty much in her jammies, in her PJs. Yeah. <laughs> the first time that they met, yeah, was mum in her PJs. And that was after our second date. And normally, like, people wouldn't, maybe they wouldn't be meeting each other's parents so quickly. Yeah. But, you know, it just, just felt right. And, like, I asked Belinda if she was... You know, she was up to that, and she was, and it's just been an amazing, incredible journey ever since. Mm-hmm. Man, there's actually so a few similarities between you and Belinda and me and my wife. We um, yes. I actually added her on Facebook, um, and then yeah, I asked her out, and she said no as well. And then I somehow organised <laughs> just a 
just to go out for lunch at Sunnybank. And we were there for like two, three hours talking. And then we spent pretty much the next few days together. On the, then on the Sunday, we were like boyfriend and girlfriend. And then, yeah, we got engaged, yeah. engaged the following week and then married, I think, a couple months after that. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. It happens quick. But like you said, if you know, I, I you know it. Yes. Yeah. And people let convention dictate what they do. If, yeah, if, exactly. If they feel like something's right, they should go with go with their gut instinct and not worry about what other people think they should be doing. Yeah, what they're do doing. Do what's right them. for them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because a lot of people that said, yeah, it's like just too quick or, you know, you should be together for a certain amount of time or whatever else. But, yeah, there's no prescribed um, kind of time. Way of doing that, yeah, things. Yeah, way of doing yeah. things, exactly. So yeah. that's kind of cool that our, our stories are similar in that, in that sense. Yeah, it is. It, that's very awesome, man. I think, I think um, it's great to hear because I think it just is a testament to um, people's, people's relationship. And yeah. the strength of that relationship as well, and their bond. Yeah, for sure. Because my wife did a TikTok about like how fast we met, and someone commented saying like um, something about like being divorced one year later or five years later or something like that. And it's quite the opposite. Like our relationship's actually very strong, and um, it's come a long way since you know just dating for a couple of weeks and then getting engaged. Um, and so yeah, like yeah. you said, man. Who you marry is can make a massive difference in your life, and like like you, yeah, my my life has been changed, a lot, has changed a lot since meeting my wife, and um, yeah, she's definitely changed me for the better, uh, like Belinda's done for you, which is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. So many, so, so many more adventures that I wouldn't have been able to experience by myself, and it's it's all because like just being in a team team sport where we consider ourselves a team as well so whatever we face we go through together Together, and yeah so that's that's the biggest advice that i can i could give to anyone in relationship wise is just be a team yeah and like when you're in a team um you always put your teammates interests before your own and so yeah there's so many similarities between you know team sports and and relationships but i think that's at the essence of a good marriage is really putting your partner before yourself thinking about them more than yourself. Um, and that's where you get the true joy and, and you can really strengthen that bond, which is the most relation, the most important relationship that we have like on this planet, I guess. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. So I guess, how's your health now? How, how are you pulling up and how's things, um, how's your body treating you at the moment? Yeah. Uh, so going through, my body goes through ebbs and flows as far as my condition goes. So at the moment, um, my muscle tone is increasing. So that means that um, I'm in uh, a lot more pain than what I used to be. So I've always had pain when I walked, uh, but normally that that mitigated or went away when I was at rest or sitting down. But um, at the moment, um, my body is experiencing pain when I'm at rest, so oh, it, which is impacting on my, on my sleep, uh, which is difficult. But uh, fortunately, I'm still getting into indoor rowing. So, yeah, uh, yeah so which is fantastic because I just have to jump on my rowing machine. Like when I was rowing, um, getting in and out of the logistics of getting in and out of a boat were quite difficult. Mm-hmm. I was quite lucky that uh, my coach was, he's like six foot 
four and 115 kilos and just all muscle, <laughs> yep. then he can just pick me up and yep. throw me in a boat all by himself without any trouble at all. When normally, because of my muscle tone, I'm, even though I'm not very heavy, I feel a lot heavier than I am. So mm-hmm. it's quite difficult to lift me and move me around. Uh, but uh, yeah, just jumping on the ergo and uh, trying to get into um, a bit of indoor rowing. And uh, recently, I competed in uh, the World Virtual Sprints in March. Oh, I've seen that, yeah. And so, yeah, and I was lucky enough to place in the top three. So I finished third uh, in that competition, which is pretty cool. Congrats, and man. That's cool. Best, thank you very much. The best thing, though, uh, from that was uh, someone reached out to me via the uh, Concept2 rowing platform mm-hmm. where you enter in all your times and different competitions and they were looking for a rowing partner. Mm-hmm. They're the a person that uh, is competing in the Invictus Games, but uh, it, um, it's been postponed. So they were looking to get into uh, different, different avenues of training and different sports to keep up their fitness. Uh, and so we've got an awesome uh, training partner out of it. And okay. essentially, I just, I just went into the competition to see how I, how I would go. You know, uh, again, a bit vain and a bit of ego. Yeah. I wanted to see if I still still could row, like be, do a decent time because I saw I saw the World Virtual Sprints last year, but after it happened, and then I checked the times and I said to myself that uh, you know I'd still be top five in the world yeah. on those times. With those times, yeah. And so, yeah, and so when I saw it again this year. I was like, oh, no, I've got to go in it, even though I hadn't been training. And, you know, because of the lack of sleep and things like that, yeah. it makes continuity of training very difficult. Yes. And, but uh, also, I'm doing another push-up challenge. I'm doing an ISO isolation push-up challenge at the moment. So I started that in late April. Mm-hmm. And so I've already done over 10,000 push-ups since, since late April which is pretty cool. But um, again, it's about having those um, bigger goals and those commitments to yeah. to keep me trained. So I've committed to doing at least 100 push-ups a day. Yep. So, um, and that's all for Variety Queensland. And Variety Queensland is uh, an organisation that's very close to my heart because they helped me out while I was at Nudgy. They provided me with a laptop and um, not just about what they gave me physically in the way of the laptop. It was uh, their support and confidence was that I got from their support was very important because when I first arrived at Nudgy, there was a small group of teachers that that thought I didn't didn't belong there and that I should pursue um, educational opportunities elsewhere. Wow. So at special schools and things like that. Yeah. So I was I was there. Um, I needed to, I was subjected to periodic IQ testing oh in the hope that I would, so, you know, and Nudgy, Nudgy wasn't always an academic platform. It was all about rugby. Yeah, if you exactly. if you could spell, if you could spell football while you're at Nudgy, you were doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, but I, because again, because I was, oh, it was against convention what I was doing because like, even when I got into high school, there wasn't uh, kids with disabilities um, in mainstream education. So yep. you have to sometimes you have to go through those tough and challenging times, so it can make it easier for people after you 
um, to have those opportunities. Um, so that's why uh, variety is so important to me mm-hmm. because they gave me confidence and someone, they believed in me when um, there was a lot of people externally that didn't believe in me. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the push-up challenge is all about raising funds so that they can um, help some more kids in similar circumstances because um, I've got so many um, opportunities all because of being able to get through Nudgy. Like, I've got about 57 degrees and a hex debt to prove it. <laughs> so I've got uh, <laughs> a business degree and a law degree and uh, just just started uh, my graduate diploma in legal practice wow. in May. So uh, upon a successful completion, I'll be able to apply for admission to be a solicitor or barrister. Yep. Man, you do, you've done a lot. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't realize how much study you've done. That's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, well, I, I, like, I always thought of um, like acquiring knowledge. Everyone can acquire knowledge. You don't have to have a natural gift for yeah. learning. I think you just have to, you can develop a skill set. You just have to have um, an energy for whatever you're doing and you can acquire knowledge. And I think, um, I don't I don't see why people can't be good at everything that they want to pursue. They've just got to give enough energy to it exactly. and enough time to it and, and they can be successful. Yeah, because growing up, man, like coming from like a Polynesian background, university wasn't really seen as, it wasn't common. Like my parents, my mum, dad, and my older brother, they all dropped out of high school. I was the first person in my family to graduate. And so university, well, high school was big enough, but then university was just, it didn't seem as possible. But my mum, she went back to Griffith Uni as a mature age student. Yes. She completed a double degree with six kids at home, um, which How I thought was amazing. Yeah, and so she kind of paved Incredible. the way for me to, to kind of see that you know, education is important and that's possible for, for myself. And so that's what made me, well, that's what I'm, I'm studying at the moment. Got a few more subjects to get done of a business degree. Um, and so I'm really keen to obviously finish that. But yeah, like you said, um, we only place, um, yeah, I guess, limits on ourselves. Definitely. For what we can achieve. Yeah, and yeah, and I think that's why it's so important to try and create opportunities for people because uh, people's attitudes towards their circumstances are informed about um, those around them. So yeah. um, like kids with disabilities, they don't know they can or can't do anything. Exactly. They learn that from the people around, around them. them. So I was very fortunate growing up that uh, my I was always in an environment of opportunities. Yep. And my parents always imposed the importance of adapting to situations and that's all that's all my disability or situation has taught me is how to adapt in life and you know anything we all need that ability if covid situation has taught us anything that's the importance of being able to adapt and like you're doing with the podcast it's all about finding creative avenues for ourselves you know something that we cherish like playing Mm -hmm. rugby or training has been taken away from us or maybe our our normal uh, profession has been taken away from us we all need to find different avenues to for creativity and also to use we might be experiencing some negative emotion 
yep. too, you know, like in the, in the lead up to Bridge to Brisbane, I was, I was, there was a period of anger because I actually contacted um, an organisation that helps people with cerebral palsy to try and get some treatment options. Yep. And they said they couldn't help me, but they sent out a social worker to try and put me into respite care. And respite care isn't always uh, an avenue for improving. It's normally something where you're probably locked away and you won't get the opportunity to improve. So it's not something that I wanted to explore for myself. Mm -hmm. And I happened to ask this social worker because they also were in charge of, uh, in charge of, finding education pathways for people with cerebral palsy yep. for a large portion of Queensland. And um, I asked him how many people had found pathways for, and he said one person into TAFE. And that was pretty much for the whole of Queensland. And I said to him, Goodness. why so low? Yeah. And he said, we have to be realistic. Oh, and I was really saddened by that because cerebral palsy is a physical disability. Yeah, not a mental it's disability. Not, it's not a cognitive one. Yeah. So, um, and his whole role was to advocate for people with cerebral palsy. And if he wasn't doing that, then who was? Exactly. So I, I was I was frustrated that that was the situation that was confronting people with cerebral palsy. And I felt like within myself that I hadn't done enough to help people in yeah. similar situations. So... That was, I actually cried and wept for yeah. a period of time um, after after that interaction because I was I was stuck at home. I couldn't mobilise. I couldn't I couldn't leave the house, mm-hmm. and I knew that I had to do something to to for an outlet for those emotions. Yep. So that's when I contacted the uh, Variety Queensland to say that I'd like to do the Bridge to Brisbane, ah. and you know that could have that could have been. And ending, look, that's what people need to understand as well and appreciate. You might be confronted with circumstances, but it doesn't look doesn't look real good, yep. and you might not see uh, too much hope yep. at the tunnel. And but your life can go on an amazing adventure if you just find a way. And uh, yeah, that's one of the biggest biggest things that I've learned through life is. You know, you might be might be confronted with some really uh, big roadblocks, but if you can work your way through, work your way through it, um, you know, life can take you on an amazing adventure. For sure, man. I love how you've yeah, obviously been a, a, a huge advocate for those with cerebral palsy that um, you can still do things as normal people, normal people, you could say, um, can do. But man, just hearing your story, I think. Through your disability, you've actually gained yeah, a lot more strength than people maybe with um, like able limbs and things like that. Um, so I, I like how you've changed a so-called negative into a huge positive, and that's really driving you even to this day to you know kind of beat the status quo and and achieve some great things. So man, just your story in itself is very inspirational, and yeah, I definitely love hearing it. Um, but I guess as a community, what, what do you think we can do to help normalise um, things for, for people that have differences, be they physical, cognitive or cultural, from your experience? I think, I think um, 
we're very we're very quick to recognize differences. Yeah. But I think we need to understand that um, we're more alike than what we understand. Definitely. If we understand that we all go through challenges, it doesn't matter what they are. They might be very different, but if we we all understand that we will be tested and confronted by challenges in life, then we can have empathy for each other. And empathy leads to understanding, and that leads to breaking down barriers. So in a lot of ways, yeah, I love, I love uh, being able to do things that um, able-bodied people would struggle to do with crazy amounts of push-ups. Yep. But again, it's, it's, all about, it's all about showing that we're not that different. Yep. And we all have tremendous capacity to help others and to create for ourselves as well. Because it doesn't matter how we do it. It might be through using social media. It might be doing different physical challenges. Mm-hmm. We all have capacity to help each other. And we all have capacity to generate more empathy in the world and understanding that we're not all that different. We all need social connection. Yeah. And we all need autonomy to go after the things we want to pursue in life. Yeah. And that doesn't that doesn't change like whether what cultural background we come from, what physical differences we have, different uh, racial differences. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. We we all need social connection and autonomy in in our lives. And if we can have empathy and understanding, we help create that. Beautiful, man. That's that's touching. And especially a lot of things with um, like racial tensions throughout the world. Um, like you said, it's really seeing people for who they are. Like we're all people at the end of the day, who are human beings with yeah. feelings and emotions, aspirations, fears, um, as well. Definitely. And yeah, like you said, when we can empathize and say, "Hey, that guy next to me is going is facing his own challenges, just as I am," you know, maybe today I could be kind, like not beep, you know, if he's like as I'm driving, or um, you know, not say that bad remark. I think the world would be would be yeah. a lot better place. Yeah, and again, you don't know how you can help people. There might be someone listening to one of your podcasts. Exactly. They might be going through a similar situation with their own lives mm-hmm. and being able to hear someone else speak about it yep. and talk about our vulnerabilities might give them the power to, to, you know, to confront their own vulnerabilities and to share that they're going through a hard time. Mm. You know, like I probably made a mistake when I was in primary school not sharing with my parents about the hardships I was facing with that teacher. Mm -hmm. You know, at that time, I thought it was potentially weak of me to tell my parents because Mm -hmm. I thought that, you know, not telling them was being strong. But that wasn't the case. You know, it's about about sharing your vulnerabilities and sharing the tough times that we go through. It's about people love talking about their triumphs, but it's also about sharing our tough times yeah. because people need to know that we we all will struggle and be challenged through life. Definitely. And you can see that with social media, like everybody, say Instagram, for instance, puts out their best photos. You don't really put out a photo or things that show uh, things that are wrong. You always want to show you like your best kind of day. Um, but like you said, yes. if everybody just shares that, then you think you live in a perfect world and that you kind of mental breakdowns you can't um yeah feel bad about a certain thing or, or the way you're feeling so um yeah for sure i think people need to be need to hear these kind of these vulnerable conversations about real challenges that you're facing and that people are facing that could 
uh, potentially help um, their own life and, and, and inspire and, and create hope, I think, because, yeah, there's a lot of things that can really uh, dim our hope that there's um, possibilities for us as, you know, as people or, you know, coming from difficult situations. But I think you your your example um, shows that, yeah, you can you can achieve anything despite limitations you could say um, if they if they're that um, that it's possible man so that's um yeah that's a cool a great lesson that you've you've shared me personally just today thank you very much um, but I guess for for you man what's uh, what's the future hold for you what what are some things that you're working on at the moment or what are some goals that uh, that you want to hit. So, Belinda and I are really looking forward to starting a family. So cool. that's that's the big that's the big next challenge, and uh, that's that'll be a crazy adventure to have uh, little little people running around <laughs> with a little bit of me and her. They'll be crazy kids, uh, but uh, they'll definitely be independent. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I hope that uh, they have a great sense of humour and just uh, confident young people. But, uh, yeah, that's the next big thing. Uh, finish finish uni yep. and uh, and then uh, secure some employment. Mm-hmm. And there's the National Indoor Rowing Championships happening in October. Wow. So, uh, so I'll be hoping to compete at that and also uh, continue with my push-up challenge. Hopefully I can get over 20,000. And I just want to... The only off chance that I meet Chuck Norris one day and he asks me how many push-ups I can do, <laughs> I can tell him that I can do all of them. <laughs> man, that's so, awesome. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, man, that's exciting. It's yeah, sounds like there's some really exciting things happening, especially like with the family, um, with your push-ups and the indoor um, challenge. So, um, man, best of luck with everything, and yeah, really appreciate your time and, and sharing, you know, some of your challenges, but. Um, also your triumphs, man, that there's been a lot um, despite the challenges of your face. So, um, yeah, really I'm happy to have had you on the show today and um, thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me and uh, I hope all the listeners have a great day and uh, take care and look forward to hearing us on the podcast. Cool, man. Yeah, so yeah, I'll link people to, to also your um, your page, the 10,000 push-ups. Um, that you're doing, yeah. So, um, and just some of the yeah, initiatives that you're, wanna, that you're doing. Yeah, I encourage people to jump on there, and if they want to send through a set of push-ups like you have, thanks for being a great supporter of the challenge. Oh, you man. look really good while you're doing the push-ups too. <laughs> really good form. Um, not everyone has great form. I'm not. They won't hear this, but uh, yeah. yeah, you've got really good form. But uh, people can send through any exercise that they like, and even though we just joked about form. It doesn't matter how the push-ups look or whatever yeah. exercise that you do because uh, particularly kids with uh, physical disabilities have to have to rehearse and rehearse just basic movements with so many failed attempts. So uh-huh. it doesn't need to look pretty, you know. So it's all about just getting the message out there and spreading awareness. And um, also, if there's any families that are listening that uh, might need some assistance from Variety. Variety are an international organisation and all across Australia. So wherever the listeners are, if they know a family that could benefit from assistance, get in touch with Variety wherever they are and uh, they'll be able to give you a hand. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Chubb. And um, 
Yeah, all the best with what's happening this year. Appreciate your time, brother. Thanks very much, Kevin. Cool. Yep, so I'll just...